Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I hope you've had a great day. I'm so glad we're going to have a couple hours to be together today. I hope uh, you're looking forward to your weekend and get some rest, get some projects done. If you've got stuff on your list to do, it's always good to uh, have a plan, right? So, um, or maybe your plan is just to do nothing. So that's good too. We've got a great show. Dr. Alex McFarland is going to be joining me in just a minute. Then Dr. Jeff Barrows is going to be coming on as well. He is uh, from the uh, Christian Medical and Dental Association. We're going to get an update news uh, from him on COVID and the Delta variant. So that's going to be interesting. And then in hour two, Dr. Greg Gansel is going to be joining me as well. So that's what the plan is for today. Dr. Alex McFarland, as you know, is an author and uh, an amazing uh, apologist and an all-around great guy. And he's with me now. Alex, welcome. Well, hello there. It's good to be with you. You know, Alex, I've been talking to people lately, and it seems that they're there are more and more people having encounters with friends, acquaintances, people they know who have had a crisis of faith. Maybe there has been the death of someone, uh, a betrayal by a spiritual uh, mentor, maybe there was a broken relationship or a, a devastating loss. And they're questioning, is God paying attention? And mm. we're, I'm getting some, I'm curious as to how we encounter or how do we restore friendships when a person has said, I've moved away from God and my Christian faith. I, I, I see it more and more, and it's so troubling. And when people are in this crisis of faith and they believe that they've been let down, where's a good place to start? Wow. Well, for one thing, prayer and empathy. And, and Bill, thank you for tackling this. Because, you know what, earlier today I was prepping for our time together, and I was reading uh, one of the Barna reports, the, the Barna research group out of Ventura, California, very respected uh, pollster. And they were they were polling millennials and younger, late teens, 20-somethings, on mm-hmm. why they had rejected Christianity. And one of the predominant reasons was disappointment with a spiritual leader, yeah. a spiritual leader who had done something. And um, you know what? I'm at any given moment, I'm doing some consulting with churches. A lot of churches will ask me to come and, you know, mediate uh, a problem, and it's an honor to try to minister in that way. But a church that I've been working with, Bill, had a pastor that was caught doing something dishonest with money, mm-hmm. and it it was worked out and resolved, uh, but that trust was broken, and nearly a decade later— some people have some deep, deep wounds. Paul in Romans chapter 14 talks about, you know, doing your utmost to not cause a weaker brother to stumble. And so uh, I say one of the first things to do is to tell people, you know, I, I get it, and I'm very sorry that this or that thing hurt you because it, it it's very debilitating for 
certain Christians, not all, but if a, if a person that you've invested a lot of trust in fails you, that that wound can go pretty deep, can't it? It can. I wonder if it's worth saying, what did you have faith in? So, yeah. Sometimes people say, well, I had faith in the fact God would provide me with the right spouse and the right job and the right health and they were they were putting their faith in something and not in the living God. Yeah, and you know this is one of the tests. Well, let me just say, as we grow in our walk with Jesus, opportunities come along that are very often disguised as problems. Um, you know, uh, I, I think that. Um, for every believer, I'll put it this way. And do you remember back in the Old Testament, there was the story of Kadesh Barnea. And and let me just say this. Um, Kadesh Barnea was a time when the 12 spies looked at the Holy Land. And uh, this is back, you know, in Genesis and Deuteronomy. Um, but the, the key passage I'm thinking of is in Numbers. All right. Joshua and Caleb said, this land, it's ours, but 10 of the spies said, no, you know, we're like little grasshoppers and the giants of the land will kill us. And they could have crossed over and possessed the promised land, but they they had weak faith and they wandered for 40 years. Here's the thing, Bill. I think in all of our Christian lives, we come to a Kadesh Barnea hmm. where we've we trust God, and we we kind of take our faith to the next level. And when we uh, drop the ball and we don't trust God or we're not able to really process this or that challenge, um, there can be years of really, you know, arrested development, you know. Um, and getting past a beloved leader that let you down, that that can be hard, but you hit the nail on the head. We've got to make sure that our trust is always in Christ. And even I, I've got to tell you this, Bill, and I know this is probably going to sound very mundane, but in my own life, believe it or not, probably the biggest hurt that I had to process, I look back and I thank the Lord that God said no. Okay. Do I have time to tell a quick story? Sure do, Alex. All right. This is probably going to sound very mundane. But anyway, we had a, a family farm for 88 years. And ever since I was like in second grade, I, I dreamed of the day that I was going to own the farm. My grandfather cut the trees and built the house. My dad grew up there and I grew up there. And, oh, the, the barn is where we had horses. And the backyard was where my sister and I played. And, I mean, anybody would tell you all in this world that I loved was that family farm. Well, it's interesting that um, we had to sell it in 2014 to pay for my mom's medical bills. And we tried and tried and tried to keep this this 35-acre farm, and we had to sell it. Well, 40 days later, and I, I – Bill, I don't know the significance of 40, but anyway, 40 days after we sold the family farm to pay my mom's medical bills, she very unexpectedly passed away. And so I thought, 
if I knew my mother wasn't going to live, I wouldn't have sold the farm. But anyway, so I went to the man. I prayed. I said, hey, uh, could we buy this back because we sold it? And he said, Alex, I'm really, really sorry, but, um, you know, I don't want to sell it. Well, I spent about a year and a half grieving Bill. I was like, oh, Lord, I've been I've been faithful to you. I, what would be so wrong with me having that piece of land? And, Lord, uh, please, I wanted this farm. And I was really grieving. Well, I was on a mission trip, and a man from Africa, an African pastor, and nobody on this trip knew anything. This guy comes to me, and he goes, he goes, uh, Pastor Alex, what what is wrong? Something is wrong with you because your your countenance is not bright. And oh, it was just very moving. And I told him the story. And this African pastor who barely knew me, he was like, I understand, but Alex, you have to let it go because your home is in heaven. Your home is nowhere on this earth. So tonight when you go to bed, just say, God, take this away from me and help me to focus on you. Now, this probably sounds so carnal, but Bill, I think it was the hardest prayer I ever prayed. And that night, this African pastor on this mission trip that I barely knew, I tried to take his advice, and I said, Lord, when I wake up in the morning, this obsession with this family farm and all this, Lord, when I wake up, let my heart be changed. And Bill, the next morning it really was. And now I thank God that I don't have that millstone around my neck because, look, all the traveling I'm doing and my wife and I are doing a lot of things and our ministry is thriving. And if I was tethered to the care of a bunch of land and cows, I couldn't do all that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And believe it or not, I thank God that the Lord extricated me from that farm, but but it was a disappointment. My point in all this is to say you just have to trust it with the Lord, and if you're willing, he will take you to a better place spiritually and emotionally and probably literally. Uh, if, if you'll trust God with your hurts, he will heal you, and he'll take you to a better place than you otherwise could have been. Alex, you called that possibly mundane. I'm going to call it profound. I think what you just said was so powerful. And I, I'm, I'm going to ask whoever is hearing this story right now that Alex just shared, if you have a crisis of faith right now, a, a, a hurt or something that is as heavy on you as Alex went through, I would love for you to just say yes in a text. Because I'd be curious to wonder how many people listening right now would say, oh my, that's the place I'm in right now. Because I know we would love to collectively pray for you at the end of this uh, time with Alex. So we're going to take a little break, but if you are in that place, just text the word yes to me. I I would love to be able to pray. Alex and I would pray for you. 877-933-2484. If you're just in that crisis or that heaviness, Uh, I just want to lift you up in prayer right now. Again, Dr. Alex McFarland is my guest. We're talking about a crisis of faith. We're going to continue that after the break. If that's you, text the word yes to 877-933-2484. 
Church with Dr. Alex McFarland. You can go to alexmcfarland.com to learn more about Alex. Talking today about a crisis of faith. We're all going to have them at one point. I remember Elijah experienced a crisis when uh, Queen uh, Jezebel threatened to kill him. So he's on the run for his life and sits under that famous broom brush and says to God that, uh, you know, pray that he would die. I've had enough, Lord. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, people have what they call a dark night of the soul. But if we can get through it uh, and if we can uh, just uh, trust God through the, the dark midnight, we emerge stronger, don't we? Yeah, we do. And this is a nerve that's close to a lot of people, Alex. I, my, my yes text line is lighting up. A lot wow. of people are saying yes, 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 yes. They're, they're in a crisis of faith or they're dealing with someone that is in a crisis of faith and how important it is to, to pray for them, connect with them, and how is the best way we can uh, make a difference at this time when it feels kind of desperate. Mm. You know, uh, Philip Yancey uh, is a Christian author. Um, I'm sure many, many of your listeners have heard of Philip Yancey, and at one time I think he was editor of uh, Christianity Today, perhaps, but two really, really good books. And, and uh, Bill, I don't recommend a book lightly. I only recommend books that I have read myself at least once. Philip Yancey wrote a book called Where is God When It Hurts? and is one of the absolute best books on what we call the problem of pain and suffering. You know, if, if God is good, if God loves me, why is there pain and suffering in the world? And the, the Yancey book, Where's God When It Hurts? Phenomenal book. But then Yancey wrote another book called Disappointment with God. Disappointment with God. And, you know, we very often, even the best, most devout Christians, they love the Lord. They trust the Lord. Um, all true believers do. But yet we have a vision for how things are going to work out, and oftentimes it'll, it will work out differently. I can promise you, I can promise you, and I've, I've been in the, the trenches a few years, Bill, but I've also talked with thousands of people. God's answers to prayers are either yes or no or wait for something better. And uh, we don't like to be in the waiting room, but God never fails. If we can wait on the Lord and trust the Lord, honestly, a brighter day will come, not might come. A brighter day will come. I, I promise you I've, since, I've seen it in my own life. I've heard thousands of testimonies. And for the one who can wait on God, good days do come around. They really do. Mm -hmm. Dr. Alex McFarland is my guest. And Alex, when you were telling that story of the African pastor that you didn't really know very well, but he connected with you and you went to prayer that night and put your head on the pillow and sounded like at that moment you surrendered entirely to God's plan for you regarding the farm. The best way I knew how I really did. And, you know, I think I thank the Lord for the discernment of that African pastor and the boldness and the, behind my nice fa facade, I suppose you would say, the, he pulled me aside and he said, what's wrong? We were on about the, the, the third or fourth day of an 11-day mission trip. And he said, what's wrong? And I poured out my heart to him. And, and I'm going to be honest with you. I'm just going to be as transparent as I can be, Bill. I hoped he would say, oh, yes, poor you, poor Alex. <laughs> you know, you're right to be hurt. You deserved it. But in a way, he kind of rebuked me, and he said, you know, tonight, before you go to bed, say, God, my heart is broken, my heart is not right, 
take this away from me. And like I said, it was a hard prayer to pray. And um, Angie, my wife, would tell you that it really did change me. I came home because this burden had been lifted. And uh, sometimes that that thing in our heart that we nurse, this is why it's so imperative to keep our heart joyful, worshipful, focused on the Lord. Because listen, that thing that today might just be a minor um, emotional quirk, you, you let it fester, and Satan might use it to really twist you up, drive a wedge between you and God. I mean, I honestly think deep, egregious personality quirks, um, they, they can turn into things really dark. And that's why we just very, every day we have to be pretty vigilant to keep our heart and mind fully pure before the Lord. And, and Bill, i got to say one more thing. I honestly think one of the keys, one of, one of the absolute secrets to a joyful, healthy Christian life is gratitude. I mean, if you think about it, even, even in the hardest of scenarios, if you think about it, we have all got a lot to be thankful for. And, and depression is very often um, held at bay by gratitude. And that's something we can ask the Holy Spirit to cultivate within our soul. Alex, what sounds exciting to me as you tell this story, and you do it with such vulnerability, which I appreciate, is that that night, it sounded like as you turned and surrendered to the Lord, a brand new chapter was starting in your life. And there were blank pages, but God knew what was going to happen. And you talk with joy that you're not saddled to the care and maintenance of a farm because you now have new opportunities to do powerful ministry, which God has called you to do. But all that didn't happen overnight. It, it didn't. It, it really didn't. And um, do you know, uh, I don't want to bore you with a ton of details, but uh, you're right. Um, and listen, I do you have hobbies, Bill? What What hobbies do you have? Oh... I don't know if I have time for that. I got quite yeah. a long list, but yeah. I think you you and I both love music and both play the guitar, don't we? Well, I, you play guitar, I play banjo. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. right. And we're still going to, one of these days, we're going to have the Bill Arnold, Alex McFarland jam session. I can't, we've got, I can't. We've got to do that. I can't wait. But, um, <laughs> you know, as much as I, listen, I love woodworking. I love animals. I've got a lot of things that I love to do, but we've got to remember that as long as we're in this life, we're on mission for God, mm-hmm. and uh, we're going to have eternity in the New Jerusalem to uh, be busy with Christ. And in this life, we really have to jettison some cargo that might come between us and all the ways God wants to bless us and use us. Mm-hmm. Alex, I don't want to do this uh, as we're running out of time. I'm happy to do it now and then leave a little extra time for some more uh, talk, but. There is a number of people that are in a crisis of faith right now, and I don't know the details of them. Some of them have shared a, a, some small details. Others have said, yes, I'm there, and I need prayer. Can we? Would you pray for these dear people that are at a very challenged point right now? Amen. Let, let's do that. I'd yeah. be very honored. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that you hear the cries of your children. And right now, all of the people listening to this program and all the people texting in, there are needs on every heart. And so, Father God, 
attend to each one of these requests. And Lord, heal the broken. Give hope to the one who feels just despair. And Lord, we stand on Matthew 6, verse 8. Matthew 6, 8, you told us, Jesus, that the Father knows what we need even before we ask. And so in the name of Jesus, bless, heal, strengthen, restore, and everyone listening right now, give them the courage and the strength to say, in my life, Lord, your will be done. And Father God, I thank you in advance for how you're working in every person's life because you're a good God. You do good things for your children. And Lord, we praise you that we are your children through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen, Alex. I appreciate that. You know, I'm always reminded that God has information about my life that I don't have, and I, I need to trust him and, Beautiful. and and be reminded that as I, I think about what I think should happen, um, God knows what should happen in reality, yeah. not me. And and I would say this to everybody listening, and, and it really takes some maturity, I guess, to really accept this. God cares more about you than even you care about you. And when doors close and things don't pan out like we thought, please believe it. God honestly has something better. He really, really does. Yeah. Alex, where are you this weekend? Uh, well, this weekend I am in South Carolina working on our next Truth for a New Generation conference that's coming up uh, October 15 through 17. We're going to have a big Worldview conference uh, in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Oh, terrific. Yeah, and so that and more, and I'm in Fayetteville, and I'm on the road, but it's all at my website, which is alexmcfarland.com. Yeah, and thank you for your uh, pastoral care today. It's been meaningful mm. for many of us. God bless you, yeah. Bill. You're a great friend. Thanks, Alex. Dr. Alex McFarland has been my guest. Again, you can go to alexmcfarland.com. That's A-L-E-X-M-C-F-A-R-L-A-N-D. AlexMcFarland.com. Take a little break. When we come back, I'm excited to talk to Dr. Jeff Barrows. He's from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. He'll have some uh, updated news on the COVID variant and what's going on, what we should know. That's all coming up in the next couple of minutes. Since I spoke to Dr. Jeff Barrows, he is the uh, Senior Vice President of Bioethics and Public Policy for the Christian Medical and Dental Association. And it's uh, very helpful to, uh, to learn what perspective he has on the, uh, the, the basic news right now on COVID. There's, it's always changing, and now is the, the Delta variant, and makes your head spin, putting on masks, taking them off. We don't know what to do. So I'm delighted to have Jeff back on the show. Jeff, welcome. Bill, good afternoon. Great to be with you again. Yeah, nice to have you on. Uh, I hope your week went well. Are you kind of done for the day after this? 
Uh, I actually will be, yes. So nice. uh, it's been a good week. Are you going to play uh, miniature golf tonight? What do you have planned? Uh, no, my wife just drove down from Ohio, and uh, I'm in Bristol, and so uh, we're probably going to have a little dinner. She brought her sister with her, and they went and did the Creeper Trail, which is nearby here, and uh, look forward to spending a little time with both of them. Yeah, is the Creeper Trail a hike, or what is that exactly? It's it's an old railroad trail down a mountain, and the reason it's called the Creeper Trail is that the railroad used to go up the mountain to take coal or get coal down, and okay. it would creep up, and they've taken the, the tracks out, and it's a nice bike ride down. You don't have to pedal all that much. Nice. You just coast, and <laughs> you look at the scenery, and you enjoy your time. Yeah, me think, me likes. So let's talk about the, uh, the COVID uh, situation. Uh, if you would, um, tell us about the Delta variant and, and how is the Delta variant different? And maybe what are some of the common symptoms? Yeah, I think, Bill, the biggest thing about the Delta variant that is uh, new and different than the previous variants is the fact that it is so much more transmissible. And what that does is it gives us about three different lessons on the COVID-19 uh, infection. The first is that as each variant comes out, they tend to be a little bit more transmissible, which is uh, not at all encouraging. The second lesson is that they tend to also be a little bit more severe in terms of the disease that they cause. And the third most important lesson, I think, for your listeners is that COVID is not going away. I think all of us had that hope back maybe two months ago that COVID was going to go away. And I think the primary lesson for this Delta variant is COVID is not going to go away. And so that leaves your listeners with one of two choices. They can either get the vaccine or they can get the infection itself. And my recommendation is to get the vaccine. Mm -hmm. Was I was reading a little bit uh, on this Delta variant from the CDC info. It says that these uh, that the COVID-19 tests would not be able to tell you what which specific variant you have. And the only way to do that would be to uh, perform a whole genome sequencing on that particular specimen. Does that sound right? That's exactly, that's exactly right. Yeah, the testing that you hear about is going to simply test for the presence of the virus itself. To be able to tell exactly what variant you're dealing with requires not only a specialized test, but in general, a specialized lab. And so not all labs have the capability of doing it. And it's a fairly expensive test, so it's not run on every single infection. What the CDC is doing is they are trying to monitor the the, the uh, percentage of variants around the country. And so they will take a, a small percentage of the in positive infections and run the sequencing on them to, to be able to tell what variant they're dealing with. Mm -hmm. So if you were to get uh, a rapid test uh, to see if you ha have COVID, uh, it would not be saying, oh, not only do you have COVID, but you've got the Delta variant. I mean, that's that's what produced your diagnosis is the Delta variant. You wouldn't you wouldn't get that information, would you? No, you wouldn't. And in fact, even when they when the CDC or whatever lab runs the Delta variant, they usually are not telling the particular patient which variant they have. They're just looking at it for mainly a monitoring perspective to be able to tell what percentage of the COVID-19 infections are what particular variant. So, uh, Dr. Barrows, what is, you talk about it being more contagious. So does that mean if, if uh, particles, um, air particles that contain the virus, uh, they're, they're 
there's a bigger chance that they're going to penetrate your mask or get into your nose or why is it more contagious? That's an excellent question, Bill, and, and actually it relates to a study that was done in China just about a month ago. And what they did is they had isolated people that had the Delta variant and they actually measured the number of viral particles that were in the nasal cavity. And what they found was that number of viruses within someone who has the Delta variant is a thousand times greater than any previous variant or the original Wuhan virus. So what that means is when someone who is infected with the Delta variant and they sneeze, they're not only putting out thousands of viral particles into the air, they're putting out a thousand times more viral particles than any previous variant, which is the main reason it is far more transmissible. It's probably twice as transmissible as the original Wuhan virus. Oh, wow. So, Jeff, do you tell me again where, do you, where you live right now. Are you in Ohio? I have a home in Ohio. That's where I practice medicine, okay. but I am located in Bristol, Tennessee at the headquarters of the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. Gotcha. I appreciate the distinction there. So when you're in Ohio and you run to the grocery store this weekend, will you see a lot of people masked up and will you be wearing one yourself? I have not been wearing a mask myself because I have been vaccinated and there's some evidence that uh, with the Delta variant, it doesn't matter whether you're vaccinated or not, you're gonna spread it the same amount. So uh, my, my chances of getting the virus are reduced because of the vaccination. My chances of going in the hospital and dying from the Delta variant are much reduced because of my vaccination status. But because I've had the vaccination and because of the characteristics of the Delta variant, my risk of, of passing it on to somebody else is not really changed all that much by masking. So I will not be wearing a mask in public. Mm -hmm. What do you see others doing in the grocery store in Ohio? I see the vast majority are not wearing a mask. Okay. I would say probably 10 to 20% of, of the individuals I see in the general public are wearing a mask. And so I assume that those are individuals that are not vaccinated. And I think for individuals who are not vaccinated, it certainly is an excellent idea to wear a mask. Yeah. And what do you see on the horizon in terms of mask wearing uh, in the future? Well, we're hearing a, a lot about mandates within the schools. Uh, I. I, I have mixed emotions about that. I, I think that on the one hand, it's a very easy thing to do. It doesn't cost that much to just buy the mask. Uh, on the other hand, there really isn't any real good scientific medical evidence that masking helps. And so I, I think you have to look at the particular environment, look at the context, look at the situation. In fact, if you're in a work environment, I think it's best to just have a conversation with coworkers. Do you feel better if I wear a mask, especially if that you have a coworker that is not vaccinated? And I think out of respect for them, uh, if they're feeling uncomfortable or you can kind of tell that they're, they would feel better if you wore a mask, I think it's just uh, common courtesy. It's, it's brotherly, sisterly love to, to uh, go ahead and, and wear a mask for them. Yeah. Jeff, what do you think about the, the practical side? You know, I live in Minnesota, and of course we have a, the cold and flu season, which seems to be slightly worse here than other places, maybe because of the, the cold weather, who knows. 
But it seems like there was an incredible reduction of people who had the flu because they were masking. Do you think there, that it would be common sense when things get cold and uh, wet again in Minnesota that people might be able to um, avoid getting the flu even next, next winter by, by wearing a mask when they go to the grocery store? You know, to me, Bill, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I spent four years uh, going to college just south of the Twin Cities, so I know Minnesota okay. very well. Minnesota. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yes, I think it makes a lot of sense. And the CDC has actually shown that the, the incidence of flu influenza over the past year was markedly less than what we expected. So there's no question that something was going on. Was it masking? Was it social distancing? Was it the isolation? I don't think anybody has a good answer to that. But to go back to your question, I would say that yes, when it when the the cold comes in, I know it's about October. The snow starts to fall in November, and people are starting to have an increased chance of getting the flu or other bugs. It just makes a lot of sense to wear a mask, especially if you happen to be sick or not feeling very well. Sure, sure, that makes a lot of sense. Dr. Jeff Barrows is my guest. Jeff, when we um, talk about herd herd immunity, of course, that was always the big goal. We need to have a number of people. Who have been vaccinated and then a number of people who have uh, had COVID and have natural antibodies. So we needed a percentage number for safety uh, reasons. What is that percentage number and how close are we to getting there? Well, I think the herd immunity aspect is frequently misunderstood. In fact, I begin I'm wondering if a lot of the people out there, a lot of your listeners are kind of saying, well, we're really close to getting to herd immunity maybe I can avoid getting a vaccine and I won't have to take a chance uh, getting the actual infection itself. But what they don't understand is that the more transmissible the virus or the variant is, the higher percentage of of people that are immune to the COVID-19 is required in order to achieve herd immunity. So early on, about a year ago, there were people that talked about the necessity for maybe 70, 75 percent that had to be either infected or vaccinated in order to achieve herd immunity. I I can tell you with absolute certainty that with the Delta variant, that number is much higher. Now, nobody has uh, a good number because we aren't really sure exactly what the R0 number is for the Delta variant. It's so new. And that just relates to the average number of people that somebody with the Delta variant will infect. Mm-hmm. And with the original virus, it was about two and a half people. We know that it's probably going to be around four, five, maybe six with this Delta variant. And so that means we're probably talking about, and in order to achieve herd immunity, we're talking about at least 85, 90, maybe 90 percent plus that have either been infected by the virus or have been immunized. Mm-hmm. I just had a, a text from a listener who is troubled by this topic. Um, He or she knows uh, two people who have died already. They had vaccines. Um, And right now, I know someone in the hospital from the vaccine. And so very frustrated, very frustrated. Um, What do we what do we say to a dear listener like that? Well, first of all, I would say uh, certainly very sorry to hear about uh, the the deaths of the the friends that they've had. Um, And there are complications that occur. And I I happen to know somebody who has a Guillain-Barre syndrome, and they think more than likely it's from the vaccine. 
And so the danger in what you're talking about is it's called anecdotal reports. And so when people have a negative reaction to a medication or to a vaccine like COVID-19 vaccine, then everybody hears about that one negative. And so anecdotal reports tend to magnify the negativity of a, of a treatment or in this case of a vaccination. And so that causes us to need to take a step back and scientifically, medically look at large populations. In other words, when we look at the hundreds of millions of people that have received the COVID-19 vaccine, is the mortality rate that much greater? Uh, is it especially greater compared to those who get the COVID-19 infection? And all of the data shows right now that even though there have been some anecdotal reports of, of side effects and complications and certainly a few mortalities, overall, vaccination is far more safe than getting the infection itself. And so that's what I would say to those listeners that have heard these negative reports, they're worried about things, should I get the vaccine? I think personally, your your chances and your, your odds of a complication are far less with one of the vaccines, especially the mRNA vaccines, than taking your chances with a full bore infection. Mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Barrows, another question uh, came up, is the Delta variant a reaction by the virus itself to the vaccinated public, that it's mutating to survive? I don't look at it that way. Uh, we do know that viruses replicate very rapidly and in the normal process of replicating rapidly, it is normal for viruses to go through mutations. And really one of the good things about the COVID-19 uh, virus is that we found that it tends to mutate about one fourth of the time as the influenza virus. Imagine if it mutated the same amount as the influenza virus. We would be in a world of hurt right now. But it, it mutates about one in four. And I don't think it has the ability to, to recognize immunization and begin to develop a resistance to that. What really happens is that these chance mutations will begin to thrive still uh, and in greater quantity in, in people who have not yet been vaccinated or have not yet been uh, infected with a previous variant. And so then it will take over because it's far more uh, transmissible. Mm -hmm. Dr. Jeff Barrows is my guest. He is the uh, Senior Vice President of Bioethics and Public Policy for Christian Medical and Dental Associations. We'll take a little break and be right back. Dr. Jeffrey Barrows, he is the Senior Vice President of Bioethics and Public Policy for the Christian Medical and Dental Associations, a fine organization. Um, Jeff, I'm curious, just as a Christ follower and as a medical professional, I, I'm curious as to how you personally digest all the news you uh, encounter on TV and cable and things you read in the paper, and how, how do you respond to all that? 
Well, that's an interesting question, Bill. Uh, you know, I have been following this uh, since it started, uh, especially here uh, for the people here at CMDA. And as you can tell by my answers already, I am very pro-vaccination. And so now that the vaccine has been out for six, seven, eight months, uh, and I'm hearing about all these deaths and increasing hospitalizations, and by the way, we are hearing from our members that work in these hospitals, that work in the ICUs, that almost all of the patients that they're seeing die, that are, that are struggling on a ventilator or that are being admitted to the ICU, almost all of these patients are unvaccinated patients. And so I look at that, I hear about that, and I think these are really unnecessary deaths. This is unnecessary hospitalizations if only people had gotten the vaccine. Now, again, I know that there are a few that are going to have some complications, but, but I think the people that focus on the negatives of the vaccine are, are not looking at the whole picture, especially in, in, including the negatives that come with the disease itself. So I'm saddened by that. I, I really want people to hear what we're saying and say, you know, look, if you're hearing about this Delta variant and you haven't yet been vaccinated, please contact your hospital near you, make an appointment, get a vaccine. There is no reason you need to be hospitalized, put in an ICU, and even worse, possibly mm -hmm. die. A couple of questions are coming in. Jeff, if you don't mind fielding them, I'd appreciate it. Um, I can try. Yeah. Uh, just curious on the ingredients of the shot and how toxic they are and the future of blood clot heart attacks down the road since there wasn't a lot of studies on this vaccine. Well, there's a lot laid into that one question. I, I know I've seen a lot of misinformation on the Internet. I just recently was looking at an article about graphene oxide. It's somehow contained in, in the, um, especially the mRNA and how toxic it is. And, and that's so misleading because a, a, a chemical can be toxic depending on the actual chemical structure itself and, and then the amount that's in something. For instance, there are, there are things, uh, one of the strongest poisons that somebody can take is actually Tylenol. Uh, if, and I don't want people to overdose, but I, I learned early on that one of the worst overdoses is a Tylenol overdose. So a lot of it, there are a lot of factors that come into play when you talk about a poison. So I'm not worried about the poisons. I think if there had been significant poisons within any of the vaccines, we would have seen evidence of that long before now with, again, 160, 170 million people that have been fully vaccinated. In terms of long-term risks, when you look historically, at vaccinations and you look back as we've been doing vaccinations actually the the original smallpox vaccination came out in 1789 so a couple hundred years that we've been dealing with vaccinations you look back through the history and you see that the, the majority the vast majority of complications come out in the first two months I don't know of a, of a vaccine that has been fully approved by the FDA or even under EUA like these are that has suddenly six, nine, 12 months later have been found to have a significant complication. So I think we can, we can rest on the history, we can rest on the experience and say that, you know, none of these major things have shown up early on. And so we need to, again, look at the big picture and recognize there are significant risks with the infection itself. I think it's worthwhile getting the vaccine. Mm -hmm. Would you address the incidents that are, is, are reported on the 
and the the VARES uh, website. Am I pronouncing that right? Yeah, we call it VARES. Yeah. VARES, yeah. Well, I know that there, there are lots of reports that are out there, and uh, most of those, again, are anecdotal. And, and what has to be done is to separate out. So, for instance, uh, someone someone gets, uh, I, I heard a friend say, well, I had, I had somebody that was a friend that got the vaccine, and then a week later they had a heart attack. And the, the automatic assumption is, well, the vaccine caused the heart attack. Maybe, but... Maybe not, uh, because people have heart attacks all the time, and they have heart attacks without ever getting a vaccination. So it's very different to have a report of a complication or a death, and secondly, connecting that directly to the vaccination itself. And so the best way to really get that data is what's happening right now with Pfizer and to some degree with Moderna, they are putting their, their data together. They are keeping track of the people who got the original vaccine back in the fall of 2020, and they're part of their original uh, phase three study. They've been following them along. They've been looking at complication rates, and, and that data, especially once it gets approved through the FDA for, with full approval, that's the data that will really tell us how great the risks are with these various vaccinations. Mm -hmm. Jeff, another uh, clarification question. Did Dr. Barrows say that masking is ineffective in passing the virus? I think he said it doesn't make a difference. Or was that just for those who have been vaccinated, that masking doesn't make a difference in transmitting it to others? Yeah, let me clarify. There's been no scientific proof that masking definitely reduces the risk of passing the virus. But on the other hand, there's been no scientific proof that it doesn't. So what we do know in, with some data that came out of the CDC about two weeks ago when talking solely about the Delta variant, that it appears that those who have been vaccinated will pass it on to someone else about the same as someone who has not been vaccinated. So. Uh, I think that again in close quarters, especially when you're in a work environment, when you're when you're around a certain group of people, especially if any of those are unvaccinated, I think the best approach is to have a conversation with them, to clarify how they feel about it, and if there's any concern, to go ahead and mask, be on the safe side. Again, we we don't have the data to prove that it helps, but we also don't have the data that it does not help. Mm-hmm. One last question. Uh Dr. Barrows, if you've had the virus, do you recommend the vaccine? That is a tough question uh, because historically, when we've looked at other viral infections, when someone has been infected, um, typically we haven't in the past recommended uh, vaccination. I, I, right now, I know the CDC is doing that. Uh, I think they're, they're doing it because there have been some uh, questionable data about how good the, the natural response is. So I would say if I have a family a member who has had the infection and then they're given the opportunity, I would have them at least get a booster uh, of one of the mRNA. And if they didn't have too bad a reaction, I'd like to see them get both, again, to be on the safe side. Dr. Barrows, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Glad to be with you, Ben. Yeah. My pleasure. You bet. Dr. Jeff Barrows has been my guest. He's a senior vice president of bioethics and public policy for Christian Medical and Dental Association. I always uh, appreciate the perspective of people from the faith community. Of course, 
you can understand and take from our discussion what you like and discard what you don't like. Of course, you know that uh, it is a highly personal decision what you're going to do and what you're going to be advised to do. And I, you know, I love you either way. And I'm just glad that uh, the discussion, I think, has been uh, fair. I hope you've gotten some good information. And I just trust that um, you will um, be prayerful about whatever decision you make on a very highly personal thing, such as your your health and well-being of those in your community and those in your family and those that live with you. So uh, thank you for your uh, your patience on getting through that discussion. I know it's, a, again, it's an emotional topic, but my listeners are very kind and loving, and some of you said I can't listen to this anymore, and I understand that as well. So thank you for your honesty. We'll take a little break. When we come back, Dr. Greg Genzel is going to talk about the longing of our heart for relationship. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.